Praise God. You may be seated this morning in the presence of Jehovah. You may be seated today. Thank God for His Spirit and for His presence here today in this house. Amen. Amen. You know, this is, uh, <clears throat> this is the Sunday before, as I said, mentioned already, school will be starting on Wednesday. And all of our kids will be going back to classes. Um, teachers will be going back to their classes. Everything will be back in, uh, back in session for a, another school year. And we want to be sure that we pray for, uh, for our school districts, for our, for our faculty, uh, our staff, all of our school workers. I know there are several here at Abundant Life that work for the school district, some here, some at um, Central, other school districts, and we want to keep all of our, our, our teachers, administrators, everyone in prayer, and our kids as they go back to school. We're living in, we are living in a, a dangerous time. We, I think we, we know that. I saw something, um, you know, of course, we've had so many different, you know, tragic things that have happened uh, lately, of course, with the shootings in uh, El Paso and then in uh, Dayton, Ohio. Um, there was a, also the report of a man with, a, I think, an assault rifle in the Springfield Walmart, is that right, here uh, just a few days ago. Fortunately, he was arrested. He was very fortunate somebody didn't kill him walking around in public like that, but whatever his intent was, we don't know. But nevertheless, uh, we are living in dangerous times. I never thought that I would ever live to see a day where they are selling bulletproof backpacks for our children to go to school. That, that is a shame. It's a crying shame that we have to live in such times as this. I also saw somebody said they had also bulletproof sweatshirts and things for kids. You know, it ought not to be that way. And, um, but, but I said that to say we want to, we can't live, we can't live our lives in fear and torment and terror all the time. Satan is the terrorist. And Satan, would, would, that would be his desire, would to be to, <clears throat> for us to live our lives in terror and fear. And that's not what the Lord desires for you or for me or for our families, our children. And so we want to pray for our school districts and for our children as they go back to school for God's protection upon them. Amen. For God's protection also. Uh, I know we've got some going back, going to college, and Miss Shalen's going to be leaving uh, this week to go to um, the College of the Ozarks. And uh, so this will be the last Sunday. She'll be here with us for a while. I don't, I, her mom's not crying, is she? But uh, we want to keep her in prayer, all of our students in prayer. Can we just, can we just pray over, over the, these right now? Would you just join with me and let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we just want to pray over our, our, our nation today, of course, as a whole. And God, we pray today over our school districts and our students and our faculty and our workers 
Lord, it's such a, 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 a stressful time that we all live in today. And I would pray and we would pray today for your protection, Lord, this coming school year upon all of our children and students and, and every school that you would just surround surround those schools and those staff and, and, and students with your presence, with the angels of the Lord to take care of them and protect them, God, that no evil would befall them, no harm would come, no, nothing, nothing that, uh, that Satan would plot or plan would, would ever be manifested. God, we just pray for your covering, your wings to cover them and protect them this school year and help every one of our students to do their very, very best this coming year. And we give you praise for that. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen and Amen. Thank you all so much. Open your Bible. Do you have your Bibles today? <clears throat> Open your Bibles with me to the book of Mark. Mark's Gospel, chapter 7. We're moving into chapter 7 of the Gospel of Mark. Won't be long. We'll be halfway through the Gospel of Mark. Won't that be awesome? We're just speeding right through, aren't we? Amen. But I want to read from this morning from Mark's Gospel, chapter 7. And then we'll be turning over also to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, to read some verses of Scripture there as well. How many of you all love the Word of God? Amen. 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 The Bible says, you know, Paul said, told Timothy that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And it's profitable for doctrine, for, he said, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Um, that's what the Word of God is for. And uh, so that, he said, so that we, so that the man of God may be, or the woman of God may be perfect or mature or complete and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the Word of God is to is to feed us, it's to instruct us, and it's to correct us, and it's to mature us and to help us to be better Christians. Do you agree with that? That's what the fivefold ministry is all about in the church. The pastor, the evangelist, the apostle, prophet, teacher, every one of those ministry gifts in the church is for the equipping and the perfecting and the maturing of the saints so that we can be better Christians. How many want to be a better Christian? How many are already perfect and don't need any improvement? I didn't see any hands and those mine came down too. Um, none of us can make that statement and that's why we have been given the scriptures to lead us and to in, instruct us in righteousness and to correct us. And so, you know, we like to hear messages that pump us up and we like to hear preaching that, that causes us to shout and run the aisles. And I like, hey, you know me, don't you? I like to preach those kind of messages. Amen? But, but, uh, but we also have to have messages that instruct us and that correct us and that show us where we need to improve in our life and things that we need to overcome in our life. Do you agree with that? 
because as, as we've already determined here, none of us are perfect and we all, we all need some help in areas of our life to, to live better lives and to be closer to Jesus and to be more like Jesus. And see, that is the goal that we all have is to be more and more like Jesus. And that's God's plan for you and for me is that we be conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're, we're working toward that. And so this morning's message, I'm going to deal with the subject today, some subject matter from this seventh chapter of the book of Mark and the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew that, um, that I think all of us need some instruction in this area. So let's look at this verse, and I'm just going to read the first two verses of Mark chapter number 7, the first two verses, and then Matthew chapter 7, five verses. Okay, are you with me? Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Then came together with him, the Phar- came together unto him, unto Jesus, the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of the disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashing hands, they found fault. Notice those three words that end verse 2. They found fault. I can see you all are really getting ready to shout about this one. Now let's look, flip with me over to Matthew chapter number 7. Some familiar verses here in Matthew chapter 7 that are a part of Jesus' sermon on the mount. And Jesus made these, this statement and said this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. I remind you again, these are the words of Jesus. In my Bible, in my Bible they're read, okay? All right. And why, verse 3, and why, Jesus said, and why beholdest thou, beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. And then Jesus, you think I'm a hard preacher. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning and just listen, give me your attention. Listen to me. Open your ears, open your heart, and receive what I believe the Spirit of the Lord wants us to hear this morning. And this may not be, this may not be a shouting message, and that's okay. But we need this correction today. And I want to use for my subject this morning overcoming fault finding. Overcoming fault finding. God, we thank you today for your presence, the presence of Jehovah, the Spirit of the Lord that is in this place today. And we ask you today, I ask you to help me as I attempt to minister and share with your people that which you have laid upon my heart. I pray for your anointing this morning. I ask you to think through my mind and thoughts and speak through my lips and let me be, help me to be that mouthpiece for you, Lord, to speak the oracles of God today. 
In Jesus' name, Lord, we ask you to open our hearts to receive what you have for us. May it make a change in all of our lives today. In Jesus' name, may we be today, may this church be doers of your word and not merely hearers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I read a story about a family that was driving home from church one Sunday morning. And as they were driving home, Dad, of course, he was fussing about the sermon being too long and too boring. And I know nobody does that here. I'm preaching to the choir, probably. But Dad was complaining about the sermon. It was just too long and too boring. And while he was doing that, Mom decided to chime in and Mom began to criticize the, the piano player, the keyboard player. She said that she felt like that the pianist just played too fast on one song, and the other song they played too slow, and one song was out of key and too high, and the other one that was sung too low, and just, they just didn't think that the worship team, very, she didn't think the worship team did a very good job that morning. The sis, little sister, she chimed in then and began to complain about the singers all being off key. And she didn't particularly even like the songs that they'd picked out that morning. She wished they'd have played some better songs and some different songs, so she had a little complaint about that. And then Grandma, while everybody else was complaining, Grandma said, well, I'll tell you what I think. It was, just too, it was so cold in that auditorium today, you could have hung meat in there. <laughs> So she had a little bit of complaining to do about the temperature in the auditorium. And can I just say this? It's really hard to please everybody when it comes to the temperature of the auditorium. And, uh, but anyway, Grandma had her complaint and her two cents to throw in. And so as everybody was spending the time on the way home complaining, the little, little Willie, the little boy, had been listening to all this and and so all of a sudden he began to fuss about the woman that was sitting in front of him that had the large hat on and because she had that hat on he wasn't able to see around her and he couldn't get a view, good view of the platform and so he, he threw in his two cents worth and he did his little bit of complaining and then finally little Willie said you know what though dad he said you've got to admit one thing it was a pretty good show for a quarter I guess he was watching his dad put in the offering plate. Amen. But the point of the story is this, that, that criticism is an integral part of society today. And you don't have to turn on the TV and watch very much of the news or anything else to hear. And that's one thing I just get so tired of hearing on the news is critical attitudes and this one running down that one and this one, this one tearing down this one and that one. And that's all you seem to hear. And, uh, but it's, it is an integral part of our society here in America today. I mean, we actually have, have people that, are, that make their career of pointing out the weaknesses and the mistakes of others. We have movie critics, and we have music critics and drama critics, and so people are actually being paid to critique other individuals and point out their faults and point out their failures. And that's a sad situation. And what even though is, is more sad than this, and we hate to admit it, but I think this kind of an attitude, if we're not very, very careful, 
can filter over into our lives as believers and can even come in and infiltrate the church, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hate to say this, but you probably would agree, you probably could say the same thing, but some of the most critical people that I have ever ran across in my life are Christian people that are a part of the body of Christ. And that should not be the case. Because nitpicking and fault finding and criticizing have no place in the body of Christ. I would take an amen there. Amen. Let me say that again. Nitpicking and fault finding and criticizing, uh, it should not have a place within the body of Christ. But it has seemed to become uh, a way of life for some Christians. And that is what was taking place in our text in Mark chapter number 7 because that's what exactly what the Pharisees were doing to Jesus and His disciples. The Bible said that they were finding fault, that they found fault with the disciples. Now, and with the Lord Jesus. Now, we've been studying the book of Mark and this gospel of Mark gives an emphasis and so far everything that we've, pretty much everything that we've studied so far, other than maybe the parable of the sower, has been an emphasis on the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been a ministry, it's focused. Mark has focused on what Jesus was doing. He's focused on his ministry and uh, how that he has healed the sick, and how that he has, uh, you know, how he's cast out devils. And we've, we've studied these things, haven't we, over the past few weeks. He's healed sick bodies. He's cast out devils. He's calmed storms. We saw Jesus walking on the water. And we've preached about him multiplying food and, and raising the dead. And so his power, the power of the Lord Jesus, last week I preached on the healing ministry of the Lord Jesus And so the power and the miracles of Jesus have been the main focus in in Mark's gospel. And the healing and the power and the miracles of Jesus has seemed to have been the focus lately on what we've been preaching and teaching from the gospel of Mark. But then you get into Mark chapter 7 and you find here that, that Mark 7 begins to deal with some things that Jesus taught about some things that he had to say. And when you get farther down into that seventh chapter, I didn't take time to read it all, but as you go down into into the 20th, 23rd verse, a little farther down in there, you'll find that Jesus had had some things to say and and taught some very important things about our, our walk with the Lord and about the human heart. Are you with me today? And so he spoke about, Jesus did in this seventh chapter. I mean, we don't see right here in this passage any miracles that are being performed, but we do have some teaching that Jesus gave to us about the problem with the human heart. Now, listen to me, saints. There are religious and political and social problems and moral problems that are all around us. This world today is in a mess. And can I say that our nation, America today, is in a mess. What we need more than anything, and our prayer groups praying about this every time we get together through the week, is we need a move of God. We need a revival. and We need, a, we need an outpouring of 
of the Holy Spirit because there are so many problems that are all around us. Every time, every time, as I said, you turn on the news, you turn on the television, you see all the, all the mess that's going on in the world and, and, and the problems that we have. And Jesus, Jesus gives us here in this seventh chapter of Mark, Jesus reveals to us where the problem, where the problems stem from. He reveals to us here in this chapter what's causing all the problems in society. He reveals to us what's causing all the problems in the world today and even what causes problems in the church today. And can I tell you what, what, what the source of what Jesus said, the source of the problem is? He said the problem is not, listen, listen, the problem with mass shootings and the problem that we have with, with people going, just having murderous, going in and murdering people in cold blood. You're not going to be able to solve that problem through Washington, D.C. You're not going to be able to solve that problem by legislating or passing some new kind of laws. Are you listening to me? Because the problem is not a political problem. The problem, and, and I know people say, well, it's a psychological problem, and that could be uh, to a degree. That could be the case to a degree, but you want to get to the root of the matter and find out what the problem is in America and in every nation of this world and in our society today. Jesus spells it out in Mark 7 and Jesus said it's a problem inside the human heart. It's a heart problem is what Jesus said. He said there in verse number 20, Jesus said that which comes out of the heart of man defiles the man. For within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts and adulteries and fornications and murders. See there? Thefts and covetousness, wickedness and deceit and lasciviousness and an evil eye blasphemy and pride and foolishness. All these, these are the words of Jesus in verse 23. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. And that was his response to what the Pharisees had said about, well, they were, his disciples had defiled themselves because they didn't wash their hands before they ate dinner. They were looking for, they were looking for something in their life. And Jesus said, it has nothing to do that which goes into a man that which goes in the mouth talking about food and drink is not what defiles an individual he said what defiles people is what comes out and he said it's out of the heart not this not this organ in the, that sits in the middle of your chest that pumps blood throughout your body but the inner man the real you the spirit the spirit and the soul of man he said that it's out of the heart so here's the solution to the problem nobody society's not going to be changed by any kind of legislation that our government may pass but the only hope and the only cure for this is for people to have a new heart for to get a new heart to have a heart transplant and a heart change amen hallelujah and so there is a misdiagnosis of the problem because only Jesus, are you hearing me? Only Jesus Christ can give that change of heart. 
And so when we leave Jesus out of the equation and when we kick Jesus out of our schools and we kick Jesus out of our government and we kick Jesus out of all these places and we say we don't want the name of Jesus and we don't want God and we don't want prayer and we don't want any of these things anymore, well then we've done away with the solution to the problem because only Jesus can make that heart change. Are you listening to me? So there's a misdiagnosis of the problem. The heart is the heart of man is the heart of the problem. Jeremiah 17 and 9 said that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that's what Jesus was dealing with here with these Pharisees who were the religious leaders. And the church of that day, he was dealing with them because he was letting them know that they had a problem with their heart. Those Pharisees, Jesus was letting them know that they had cleaned up the outside and made everything look good on the outside. And on the outside, they had appeared to be right and appeared to be righteous. But God's not looking at how we look on the outside as much as God's looking at what we got on the inside. Amen? That's what the Bible says that the Lord is looking at. He's look, you know, he said, the Bible said, God sees not as man sees because man looks on the outward appearance, but God is looking on the heart. But when the heart gets changed, then the outside of that life is going to be different as well. It's going to be changed as well. Amen? Hallelujah. And so Jesus, and if you want to really find out what Jesus had to say about these religious Pharisees, read Matthew chapter 23 when you get time. That's your homework. But here Jesus had come to Gennesaret and His disciples, and there was, here was a group of what someone called theological hitmen, religious hitmen, that came to visit the Lord there at Gennesaret and to entrap him and try to find something wrong with him. Mark chapter 7 there says that then came together unto him the Pharisees. Then, when, this tells us that that what is given here at the time when they came was given that that it, it follows very closely to what had just happened and what had just happened. When these, what, what had just preceded these religious leaders coming to see Jesus at Gennesaret? Well, we've been studying about it in that, in that sixth chapter of Mark. What we saw last week from the 55th and 56th verses what that was that what was happening was there had been a mighty move of God. There had been, um, you know, there had been sick people that had come out and been laid in the streets and people were being healed. And we've studied all through um, the miracles that took place in Mark chapter 5. The healing of the woman with the issue of blood. The healing of the uh, maniac at Gadara. And we could just go on and on. The raising of Jairus' daughter. I mean, there was a move of God that was taking place. And I made the statement last Sunday, in the message last Sunday, how that this was probably when all these people in every city and every village brought together the sick and Jesus was healing them. They were seeking to touch the border of His garment. And everyone was getting healed and delivered. That this was probably the greatest move. It was the greatest move of God that this earth had ever seen. 
And that's what was taking place. And so right, right on the heels of this, just following this great move of God, this mighty move of God, it says, and then came together unto him the Pharisees. Now why? What brought the Pharisees to Gennesaret to see Jesus? What, well, I can tell you what it was. and it, they, they, they weren't there to tell him what a great job he was doing. They weren't there to pat him on the back and say, well, we're with you, Rabbi. You're really doing the work of God and, and, and you can count on us. They weren't there to do that. They weren't there to give him any kind of praise or accolades. They weren't there to encourage him and tell him how much they appreciated him for all that he was doing in their life. But the fact is, and we read it in the text, amen, that they came with one purpose in mind. They came to criticize him and to find fault with him and to try to tear him down and destroy his life and ministry. They came to find fault with his disciples. That's what they came to Gennesaret to do, to find something wrong in the life and the ministry of Jesus. They were surrounded by miracles. They were surrounded with a, with a move of God and the power of God, but they ignored all the good that Jesus was doing and tried to pull out something that they could find to condemn him and to to criticize him and to judge him with. I knew I wouldn't get too many amens, but just stay with me. They became alarmed at the popularity of Jesus. He was pulling people away from following them. They were astounded at the ministry of Jesus because the Bible said that he taught he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes and the Pharisees. And so they begin to be envious of him. And not only that, but Satan himself became alarmed because Jesus was destroying the works of Satan in the lives of the people. And can I tell you something this morning? Let me tell you something, saints of God. Are you listening to me? We, we, sh we always pray and we pray all the time, Lord, and we should be praying this, Lord, draw me closer to you. I want to be more like Jesus. How many want to be more like Jesus? I want the life of Jesus to be manifested in me. And so we're always desiring that. Lord, give me more of your spirit. Lord, give me more of your anointing. I need more of you. I want more of you. Is that your desire today? But can I tell you something this morning? And I don't want this to change your desire, and it shouldn't. But the more you become like Jesus and the more of His anointing you have and the more of His Spirit in your life, the more you become a target for the enemy. The more you become a target for Satan to try to attack you and to bring you down. Because the, the greater threat you become as a believer to the kingdom of Satan, the more he's going to try to hinder you and to stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Are you with me today? But I'm going to tell you what. He can put a target on. I know I got I know I got the devil's target on my back. But I can tell you what else I do know that the Lord is my shepherd and he goes before me and he goes behind me and he is surrounding me and he will see me through. Hallelujah. I tell you, I do know that there is no weapon that is formed against me that can prosper. And I do know that if God be for me, who can be against me? And as long as he's on my side, I'll make it through. The devil can throw his biggest shot at us. Woo! 
Amen. Well, we did have a little shouting area in there, didn't we? But we find in the Word of God that the greatest enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ in His earthly ministry were those of the church of that day. His greatest enemies were the religious leaders. Listen to me, saints. And this is true. It was not the bartenders and the dope addicts, if they had bartenders. It wasn't the bartenders and the drunkards and the dope addicts and the harlots that were causing Jesus trouble in His life and ministry. The greatest hindrance to His ministry were these religious leaders that were always trying to bring a halt to what He was doing. The ones that crucified Him and and hung Him on the cross and killed Him was the church of that day and the religious leaders of that day. Are you listening to me? Religion is a terrible thing. Religion is not from God. I'm thankful today that I'm not wrapped up in religion, but I'm wrapped up in a man by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? But we find out and we will find out that the greatest hindrance, and this is a fact, that the greatest hindrance to the work of God and the greatest hindrance to revival and the greatest hindrance to the moving of the Holy Spirit has always been from within and not from without. Amen? And Satan has gone his greatest inroads into the church. See, that's his master plan. And what happened here was, I've got to move along, but, but, but they, these Pharisees and religious leaders that came to Gennesaret, the Bible says that they saw his disciples, verse 2, and when they saw some of Jesus' disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. They didn't come to watch them perform miracles. They come to watch and see how they ate. Boy, I tell you what. And it said that they found fault. Now, the meaning there of that text, if you study it out, is this, that they came to that place with the intent of looking for, hunting for, and finding something that they could accuse Jesus of doing wrong or his disciples of doing wrong. They couldn't see. And here was the thing, the blinders that they had on. They couldn't see all the good that Jesus was doing. They couldn't see all the miracles and deliverances from demon spirits and the people that were being set free and all the joy that was in people's lives because of what Jesus was doing for them. They couldn't see all the blessing that Jesus was bringing into people's lives. They ignored all the good. And all that they could see was that his disciples, all they could find was that his disciples did not wash their hands the way they thought that they should wash their hands before they ate their meal. Are you listening to me? They came looking for something. They, the Bible said they found fault. That means they were looking. For you to find something, you have to be looking for something. And they were looking for something. 
And can I just say this today? That if you come to church looking for something wrong, you will find something wrong. If you look into my life trying to find something wrong with me, I'll be the first to admit I am not perfect and you can probably find a fault in my life. But I did not come to the house of God today to find something wrong in somebody's life. I came to lift up Jesus. I came to praise the Lord. I came to be in the presence of Jehovah. Come on, somebody. Woo, hallelujah. Amen. They were hunting for something in the life of Jesus. So if you came to Abundant Life today, and I know nobody did, no one came to find something wrong, but if you did, you'll find it. Because we ain't perfect. How many of y'all know there is no perfect church? Anybody here know that? Huh? Heard preachers say one time, told somebody, said, said, uh, don't go looking for the perfect church because if you find the perfect church, as soon as you join it, it won't be perfect anymore. Because <laughs> we all are flawed. Is anybody here? None of us are perfect. We, t- we do our very best to keep our eyes on the Lord, to live for Jesus, to f- keep our faith anchored in the finished work of Christ in the cross. We trust and believe the Holy Spirit is working in us to sanctify us and make us more like Jesus. But I'm telling you what, listen to me, no, no matter how close you are to the Lord today and how close you follow Him, every one of us has the, the propent, propent, propensity, help me Jesus, the propensity to fail, to miss God, and to make mistakes, and to even sin. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. So, uh, with that all being said, then if we are all flawed individuals, then we have no right of trying to judge and condemn our brother or our sister in Christ for something in their life. We need to focus on what Jesus said and take care of the telephone pole in our own eye before we try to pull the speck of sawdust out of our brother's eye. Can I get an amen in this house today? Oh, hallelujah. Well, that's, this is the kind of preaching that will help you and me. Amen? This is the kind of preaching that Paul said the Word of God is for correction and instruction in righteousness that will mature us and perfect us and perfect us and help us. All right? Amen? These Pharisees, these Pharisees, they had a they had a belief that they had concocted and manufactured a belief. They believed. Here's what they believed. Here's why they were criticizing Jesus, because they believed. And some of you may know this. But their belief was that at night, while you were sleeping, that, demon, that there was a demon spirit. They had a name for it. There was a demon that would get on your hands. Now, this, listen to me. This is it. This is what they believed. But it was a man-made thing. There was nothing. That's why Jesus told them a little later on. He said, your tradition has made the Word of God a non effect in your life because you're believing stupid stuff that's not even based and founded on the Word of God. Can I just give it to you? That's basically what Jesus was telling them. 
And that was one of their beliefs, that a demon would rest upon your hands, and when you went to eat, they had a specific ceremony. It wasn't just going and washing. They had a whole rigmarole you had to go in, kind of like the, the, the doctors, you know, going in before surgery. I mean, they would wash, they would make a fist, and they would rub it. Then they would rub it the other side, and then they would do it, and it was a whole thing. They had to wash from their fingertips down to their elbows, and in that ritual that they went through, which was, I said, a commandment of men, then that would expel that demon. They would wash that demon off of their hands. So if they didn't go through that ritual, this I'm telling you the truth, this is what they believe. If, if they didn't go through that ritual and ate with unwashing hands, they would ingest that demon and then he would go into them and they would become demon possessed. Now is that about the most ludicrous thing that you ever heard of in your life? And it wasn't the fact that these disciples had dirty hands. They just had not observed the, the washing the way the Pharisees thought that they should wash. And they, they took note of that and they watched them to see if they'd washed the way that they had said they need to wash. And they didn't do it. So basically, the Pharisees were saying because they didn't wash the way they were supposed to, they had ingested demons and that these disciples probably now were demon possessed. And you see how nuts that is? See how crazy that is? I've had people, I've heard of people though in the church that have condemned and criticized and found faults with people within the body of Christ that are just about as crazy or crazier than that. Can I get an Amen. The charges were manufactured, and that's why Jesus went ahead and taught them. We don't have time to get in it. Read it when you get home. But Jesus went ahead and taught them. He said, It's not, that's why he said, It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, it's what's coming out. And what he was telling them, what you all got coming out of your life is defiling you. But to eat, my disciples to eat without going through your ceremony hadn't defiled them at all. That's what religion does. Religion breeds self-righteousness in people's lives where they come to the place like these Pharisees were where they think we're super holy and we're super righteous and everybody else is below us. And they think, there's some people think that God has hired them to be his own personal prosecuting attorney. But he has not. You are not. Can I give you a revelation today? You are not God's prosecuting attorney. Oh, help me, Jesus. But these folks went around, these Pharisees, fault-finding and moat-hunting and criticizing and judging and condemning. Now listen. Jesus commanded us not to judge others in Matthew chapter 5. And there's probably more than one message here that I don't have time to cover all of. But I will say this. Well, let's just read it. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, we read it once. Let's look at it again. Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you again. 
Verse 3 says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? In other words, why do you look at the sawdust in your brother's eye, and you have a saw log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, and, and, uh, and look a plank is in your own eye? Jesus said, Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll see clear to move the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, he said, you look to yourself and examine your own life and your own self. Now Jesus here in this passage is not saying that we should overlook. And this is why I said this probably would take longer to, to teach than what I have time that I have on a Sunday morning. But Jesus is not saying that we should overlook sinful behavior. Now, are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus is not saying to us, overlook, when he said judge not, and I know that's, that, you know, we hear that today. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Well, most of the time when people say that, they're saying, I'm going to live in sin, but don't you, don't, you, don't you say anything about my sinful lifestyle or sinful behavior. Well, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not saying that we overlook sinful behavior. Because you and I as believers, as Christians, have a responsibility if we see a brother or sister erring, sinning, falling away, going away from the Lord, doing something that they shouldn't do, that is spelled out by the Word of God. If we see that, we have a responsibility to confront that erring brother or sister, but we have the responsibility to do it in the right way. There's a right way to confront, and there's a wrong way to confront. And I'm just going to cut to the chase and tell you this, that the wrong way to confront is to go behind their back and tell everybody in the church that they're doing something wrong. That's the wrong way. Do you know when we accuse people of something wrong, as Jesus said, was talking about here, and we're judging others to, to, our, to, to other people and talking about them behind our back and making accusations against them without confronting them personally and in private, do you know what we're... we're you are, listen, a person that does that is linking themselves up with Satan. The Bible says that Satan, who's the accuser? Who's the one that condemns? Who's the one that accuses of sin? It's the enemy. Are you listening to me? It's Satan is the one that's the accuser of the brethren. That's not the proper way to confront someone that's done something wrong or, or an erring brother in Christ. If I see something, and this is just a hypothetical situation because I don't know of anything, but if I were to see something in, that Brother Jim was doing that I thought was, wasn't right or that was leading him away from the Lord, it would be then my responsibility. And listen, not, not something that I think... Let me say it this way. Not something that is one of my convi personal convictions. Because you may have personal convictions that I don't have that are not based on the Word of God. And you're living up to those personal convictions. But can I tell you, you cannot enforce your personal convictions on somebody else. But if, but if, I, but if there was something, my responsibility would be to follow the procedure that's given in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1. 
that says this. I don't know if they got it up there or not. Galatians 6.1, do you have it? I got it. Brethren, talking to the church. Now, is everybody, y'all listening to me? My clock's in the red, but I got to keep going. <laughs> Brethren, if a man or fellow brothers who he's talking about is overtaken in any trespass or overtaken in a fault, the King James says, you which are who? Spiritual. Number one, it's the, how do I need to say this? Number one is, it's for spiritually mature individuals to deal privately with the faults of another believer in the church. You that are spiritual, speaking of some maturity, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. So do you see the process there? That's what the Bible says to do, is to go. Did, did, he, say, did he say if you see your brother overtaken in a, in a trespass or a fault, that you're to go get on the phone and call everybody in the church and say, hey, do you know what I saw Brother Jim do? You need to check him out. Do you know what he's been doing? Do you know how he's... It didn't say to do that. I know... Boy, it's getting quiet as... A mortuary. <laughs> he didn't say that. But he said, we are to restore. Let me, let me tell you something. God always works. Always works in the area of forgiveness and restoration. Not in judgment and condemnation. Do I need to say that again? God always works in the area of forgiveness and restoration. He said there that we are to restore that erring brother in the spirit of meekness. God is in the, in the business of restoring and forgiving. Not God is not in the business of exposing and condemning. Can I get an amen? I think we all know what the golden rule is. Does everybody know the golden rule, what we call the golden rule? Jesus taught it also there in that Sermon on the Mount. He said, for us to do unto others as we would have them to do unto us. Well, I sure don't want, I sure wouldn't want, I wouldn't want people going behind my back and condemning me of things and, and criticizing me and talking about me and saying things behind my back. So if I wouldn't want somebody else to do that to me, then I'm not to do it to, to anybody else. Or are, 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 are anybody with me today? <laughs> Hallelujah. So, so there is a right way to confront someone who's, who's erring. There is a right way to confront a brother that's, that's missing the mark. But, but, what Jesus, but when Jesus says do not judge, what he's talking about there is, is unmerciful, self-righteous condemnation of another person. Jesus is warning us about developing a hypercritical, hyperjudgmental spirit that is, that, that is meant 
to tear another person down. Do I need to say that again? That's what Jesus is warning us about because some people get in that place sometimes where they become so self-righteous and so unmerciful and they get hypercritical and judgmental and their desire instead of building somebody up is to tear somebody down. That's not what it's that's not what it's all about in the family of God. We're here to help one another to get to heaven, not to destroy and to tear one another down. We're here to love one another, not to try to try, try to kill one another with our tongues and with malicious gossip. Is anybody here today? We've got to overcome, my friend. We've got to overcome that fault-finding, condemning, nitpicking spirit that tries to destroy people's lives. We cannot abide that in our hearts or in the church or in the body of Christ. And if we've got a problem, if I have a problem with that or if you had a problem, have a problem with that, we've got to bring it to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me and get that out of my heart. Jesus was saying here and not judging he said stop he, what he was saying was stop focusing on the faults of other people stop blaming other people for not living up to your expectations Stop bad-mouthing other people. Stop being condemning of people within your, your family and fellowship and church. Stop running people down behind their back. Don't look. He was saying stop looking for a speck of sawdust in somebody's eye. Look at your own self and get the log out of your own life. I've got all I can do to take care of Rick. Amen? A few years ago, and see, uh, here's what Jesus is talking about here when he says the speck in your brother's eye. Why are you looking for the speck in your brother's eye? If I were to ask you, let me get back up here on the platform where everybody can see me. If I were to ask you, look at me, look at me, look at me. Do I have a speck in my eye? Probably you're saying, Leona got it. Well, I don't know, Pastor, if you do or not, you're not close enough for me to be able to tell. Have you ever got anybody ever got anything in your eye? And boy, it's irritating you. You go to your wife or your husband and say, I've got something in my eye. Would you look and see? And boy, they get you. Let me, come here, Vicky. Let me. <laughs> <laughs> They get you, they get you, and they, they open that up and you move it, and they're looking, boy, they're inspecting because a speck in an eye is hard to find unless you're looking really close and hunting for it. A few years ago, I was working for the school and I got I was cleaning those those uh, ceiling heaters in the hallways at Lincoln, and you know. Macho man that I am, I did not put on safety. I will not wear safety glasses. I don't need them. So I'm up on, the, up on the ladder and I took that off. And of course there was a bunch of debris and stuff up in, those, up in that heater that fell down. Well, I got something in my eye. And it was irritating me. It was bothering me. And it was hurting me. And it went all that day. Vicki looked and she couldn't find it. 
And so I finally went to the doctor, went to my, 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 my own personal family doctor. And uh, my doctor got me in there, and he got his magnification stuff out and opened my eye, and he got that out, and he's inspecting my eye, and he can't find it. And you know what he told me? He said, I'm going to send you over to Dr. Beffa. Because he said, Dr. Beffa has a great big machine that he can blow your eye up, great big and huge, and see everything that's in there, and he'll find that speck. Oh, man, I tell you, ain't nobody listening to me this morning. Hallelujah. What I'm trying to say is Jesus was condemning speck hunting and moat hunting and looking for something wrong with somebody else. He was condemning that because in order to find a speck, you've got to blow this thing up. You've got to magnify it. You've got to spend some time looking. Come on, is anybody in this house today? And Jesus said, when you do that, you're wrong. You're sinning when you do that. He said, don't you worry about that looking for a speck. You examine your life. You get rid of the mess that's in your life. You take care of your own self and get your own heart right. And then you'll be be in a good enough shape to help your brother in the right way. Is that all right? I got more notes, but I got to quit. Most of the time, here's the thing. Jesus gives this caution about fault finding and moat hunting and speck hunting and sawdust hunting in people's lives. And Jesus said people that do that, now I didn't say this. I'm just telling you, I'm the, pay, I'm the delivery man. I didn't write this news. I'm delivering it to you. But Jesus said people that do that, here's what he said, if you do that, He said you are a hypocrite. If you refuse to deal with what's wrong in your life, but you're always trying to correct somebody else's life, Jesus said that is hypocritical. Hallelujah. Jesus gave the caution. And He said... This And we'll we'll close with this. Jesus cautioned them about the moat hunting, the fault finding, the condemning, and the criticizing, and the judging. And he said it this way, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And what measure you use, it will be measured back to you again. And Jesus is cautioning us that we will get back the very thing that we're dishing out to somebody else. Is anybody here? Have you heard the old saying, oh, they can dish it out, but they can't take it? You ever heard that? Well, I'm going to tell you what, when we place ourselves in that, in, when we put ourselves in that place of judging others and condemning others and trying to tear them down, Jesus said, the same judgment you're giving off on them, you, you're dishing it out, you just ready, get ready for it to come back to you because it's coming back. It's that law of retribution, amen? It's sowing, the law of sowing and reaping, amen? That's why Jesus said what you would want people to do to you, then you do to them because what you sow, that's what's coming back to you, amen?
I don't want judgment coming back to me. I want mercy coming to me. Jesus said, Jesus said in the book of James said that those who deal in judgment and not mercy, that's what will come to them, judgment and not mercy. I need the mercy of God. I don't have, I don't have that place. I can't stand in that place of judge, jury, and executioner on your life, amen? Because I need God's mercy. God deals in mercy. This church deals in mercy. This church deals in restoration. This church deals in forgiveness. This church deals with the blood of Jesus and in the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's there that we have forgiveness and restoration and cleansing and mercy. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb forever. Amen? That's what it is. Jesus said the same thing. And in Luke 6, 36, He said, Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. But to not, to, but not to forgive. And we've studied this on Wednesday nights and we'll be getting back into it on the Lord's Prayer in upcoming weeks. But Jesus made the statement, He said it more than once in the Gospels that if you do not forgive your brother their trespasses, your Father will not forgive you. In other words, you judgmental, God, your judgment's coming. If you will not be merciful, God will withhold mercy from you. I need his mercy. Woo! Well, I know some people saying, well, it sounds like you're getting soft on sin. No. No. But can I tell you something? My judgment for my sin has already taken place at that cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus took my judgment and the penalty for my sin and judged it there on the cross. And as my faith is in Him and His shed blood, amen, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, is anybody here today? Hallelujah. Praise God. Worship team, make your way back. I gotta quit. Don't judge. Listen. Romans 8.33 says, Who shall bring anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. When they brought that woman 